Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to frito to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Three mistakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. All right, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Kente Corner, your favorite Casual Hoya basketball podcast. We are in unprecedented territory for Kente Corner and for recent Georgetown history. The Hoyas with a huge win today over Villanova, 72-71. Freshman Dante Harris almost played a perfect game, 18 points, 5 assists, no turnovers, and made the game-winning free throws with 4.7 seconds left as the Hoyas are onto the semis for the first time since 2015. So much to unpack here, but before I do that, let's introduce back again, second day in a row. I can't believe we're still doing these. This is incredible. Marcus Washington, what's up, man? Hey, what's happening? Yeah, I'm, I am thrilled to be still doing it, and I didn't know if we were going to do it today in a more melancholy way or in an exciting way, and luckily for both of us, it's the second one. It, it is, and, you know, as I'm watching the game and – I don't know, getting more frustrated and frustrated because it's such a winnable game for Georgetown. You know, Moore played a little bit. We weren't really sure. I don't know what the gamesmanship was. My guess is that Jay Wright knew. He said he didn't know. I don't know if I believe him. Anyway, he played a little bit. We knew that Colin Gillespie, one of the biggest players of the year, there's three of them somehow. That's a different topic. He obviously couldn't go. So you're like, wow, this is just... Georgetown played Villanova close both times when they had a full roster, but you're thinking like, man, this is just such an opportunity for a Georgetown team that has exceeded expectations all season. And it was just right there for the taking. Marcus, there's so many things I could talk about first, but I think one of the crazier stats to me is that there were 13 lead changes, 11 ties. It was looking lights out. Villanova went up 11 with eight minutes left. Georgetown's biggest lead of the game was two, and they won by one. It's just... I can't believe we're doing this. Marcus, you're the coach. You're coming on here. You're looking at it from that angle. How did Georgetown stay in the game when they got down 11? I'm still trying to figure that out myself. But one of the things I've seen is uh, Patrick Ewan has been actually mixing things up a little bit, especially defensively. He showed a little bit of a diamond press in the first half. Later, he went more to like a 2-2-1 press. And I really thought that he was really trying to coach the game. And I don't know if I felt that way a lot this season, not to say that he's not coaching, but usually he kind of has a set way of doing things, and he wants those things to be executed. But I thought today that he showed some creativity, and I think that helped them out a lot. And didn't Villanova miss just enough shots? They didn't miss a lot of shots, so let's not get confused here. They missed just enough shots. And there, there's a stretch where Villanova has four straight possessions going down the stretch where they don't score, where three of them was three-pointers and one was a missed layup. And I think that was 
a situation where Georgetown's defense was really starting to get to Villanova. Villanova was starting to settle. Plus, and I think I've said it here a bunch of times, but if I haven't, I won't say it again. It's different playing offense if you're taking the ball out of the basket as opposed to in transition. When Georgetown was starting to actually make some free throws and, and, and make some shots, that also changed the dynamic for Villanova. And Georgetown hung around just enough to be a player down at the end. And boy, weren't they a player down at the end. Okay, so I have like a million stats I can rattle off. And I guess we'll just kind of wait on those. If you follow me on Twitter at Bobby Bancroft, you'll see them. I spend so much time coming up with these. And I'm going to be honest, it's really nice that the stats are going in a positive direction. I'm so tired. And I know some people get upset or get annoyed when I post things that it's a stat and it's it's not positive, right? Well, I'm not making it up, okay? I'm just looking for things. I'm looking for trends. I'm looking for streaks, you know, whatever. But there's a lot of really good stuff that we can talk about. But first, I want to say we ended the last podcast talking about uh, Chris Likes and, you know, the rumors that are out there. Austin Freeman has since deleted that tweet, which is kind of funny, I think, in a couple different ways. I'm not going to get into it. I love Austin. Got to kind of wait on those types of things. That being said, both you and I were of the position of, hey, you know what? Let's see what you have with Dante Harris and Tyler Beard, right? And so speaking of that, I I mean, Dante Harris, is he saving the best for last? I mean, what a game by the freshman. I'm not even talking about knocking down those free throws when we all got kind of nervous. The first one seemed like it touched every part of the rim. But just can you talk about his game and his ability, in my opinion, as the only stress that Blair maybe sometimes, but I feel he's the only player I feel comfortable deciding to go to the hoop. Yeah. And his aggression in so many different ways was good. He knew when to facilitate off the bounce. He knew when to get inside there. He didn't turn the ball over at all, which is incredible for anyone, nevertheless, a freshman. And it's like, he knows now what Patrick Ewan wants done. And more importantly, where to get the ball, to who on what spot on the floor. And that is hard for any point guard to learn, nevertheless, someone who is as young as he is. And I guess it has benefited that he's played so much this season. But even then, that's still incredible for a freshman. And what he did today against Villanova's defense, I thought was superb, no matter who Villanova had out there, just knowing when to probe the lane, knowing when to pass, knowing when to kind of pull it out and let's get into something. Those things aren't little, and that's why he had only five assists, and I think assists might be one of the most misleading box score stats. But more importantly, he had zero turnovers, and he got his players the ball where they needed to get it. So for me, it was a flawless game for him. I mean, it really was. And I'm not going to pretend like I saw this coming, particularly today on this stage. It is kind of interesting, and this is not a Georgetown a specific issue or a Big East uh, specific issue. But I was thinking as I was pacing in my basement while he was getting ready to take those free throws. Actually, I think I was I was sort of running and then I was doing like a defensive back drill where I was like running back. I wasn't flipping my hips. So I wasn't going full DB from my uh, my high school safety playing days. But as I was doing that, I was thinking, you know what? There's no fans there. Like imagine if there was, you know, okay, it's the, it's it's the noon game. So probably unrealistic to think that there's 20,000, but I don't think it's too crazy to think there's at least 15, right? I mean, that's such a big deal, and we're going to look back at this season, but still, I don't care if there's no one in the building. Those were huge free throws, but that that is something that I did think of, and I think it can go 
you know, either way, right? Like some guys like to play, some guys need the crowd to get going, you know, and some guys maybe are going to benefit from it. But did you have any of those thoughts about the idea that there wasn't that many people there? Yeah, I did because my thought process was what would have the stadium been kind of split? Would it have been a pro Georgetown type of crowd? Would it have been a pro Villanova type of crowd? I can't tell you that would probably be a pro Georgetown type of crowd. So I would have thought that he would have been relaxed just for the simple fact that probably there's a lot of fans in the Big East tired of seeing Villanova win. And, you know, the winner, you know, the winner of that game, you've got, you know, Seton Hall and St. John's are next. So all, all those fans are thinking, hey, man, we want to see Georgetown. Whether or not that's going to be <laughs> smart or not, we'll find out Friday night. But my guess is all the Seton Hall and all the St. John's fans that had made it in the building getting ready for their game to tip, you know, they're always going to be rooting for the underdog. And Georgetown has a great, you know, you've been up there so many times. Georgetown has one of the better followings because so many people from Georgetown end up working in New York and, you know, you know, Ewing and all the stuff. So I think it probably, yeah, I think that's a good point. It would have been a pro Georgetown crowd at that moment, probably most of the game, but definitely in that moment. Yeah. And uh, again, no crowd doesn't take away from him making no. those two free throws. Cause like you said earlier, that's tough, man. I don't know how many times I've been in an empty gym, an empty gym, and I don't make two in a row. Um, but for him to do it on that stage with everything on the line and Georgetown, for them to make the tournament, obviously, and probably I should not even be talking about making the tournament, but for them to make the tournament, um, they need to win the Big East tournament. And now that is realistically in play. And probably three days ago, none of us would have been saying that, but it's realistically in play. They can play and beat uh, either one of Seton Hall or St. John's, and they can win the finals. I, I think we both feel the same way in saying the team that <clears throat> probably scares us the most would be UConn. Yeah, it is. And I'm going to be honest, I haven't really wrapped my head around the idea that they're now okay, outside of overtime, they're basically 80 minutes away from the NCAA tournament, even though they're 11 and 12. I think they they would make an interesting case if they got to the final and they lost, would they be an NIT team? Because at that point, they still would have a losing record. But, you know, in a normal year, they probably would have played a bunch of teams that weren't that good at some point, you know, in November and December. So, you know, basically, if, if you go seven and nine in the Big East, you make the Big East final. I mean, that's probably a borderline NCAA team, definitely an NIT team. But for me, I've been talking about on the podcast basically since the pandemic started. I mentioned it yesterday. I've just wanted Friday night in the garden so bad. Obviously, I'm not going to be there, which is kind of a bummer. But I think just for the Georgetown program to be like, hey, look, we exceeded expectations. We won our first Big East tournament game. Oh, my God, we're in the Big East semis for the first time since 2015. I mean, everything's kind of, you know, coming up, coming up Millhouse right now. <laughs> and, yeah, I think this is good for the program in the sense that I do believe on a certain sense where programs can gain momentum. And being in a conference tournament, <clears throat> depending on the state of your program, it means different for different programs. And in Georgetown's case, this run is huge for the program as a whole, and it's huge for Patrick Ewing. And you could see it. I have never seen the guy in four years. I've never seen him smile as much as he smiled after that game. I mean, the smile was from ear to ear. And you saw how much it means to him, how much it means to the program. And if they can sort of get that monkey off their back and just feel like, hey, only thing we have to do is go out here and play basketball and have this belief that Belay and um, Pickett 
will, you know, finally show up to New York on offense and, and start to contribute, I'm sure they think over the next two days they have a puncher's chance of cutting down the nets on Saturday night. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. Okay, so Georgetown wins. If Georgetown had lost, they would have been trailing the all-time series against Villanova. They came into the game 44-44. Okay, Georgetown's led in the series since the first year that Villanova joined the Big East. You know, everyone thinks Villanova's an original member. They actually, for whatever reason, they were in the A-10. They joined the second year, okay? So, you know, Mm -hmm. it's as close to an original member as you can get. You know, they came in year two. But... You know, in 2012, Georgetown had pushed the lead in the all-time series up to its highest point. It was 42 to 28 Hoyas. Unfortunately for Georgetown, Jay Wright has been dominant. The Wildcats have been dominant in the Big East. They've been dominant in the country, winning two titles. So they've won 16 of 18 before today. Now Georgetown won. And I think it's a little thing. At some point, you know, if you want to stop the bleeding, right, you have to stop the bleeding. And what better way to stop the bleeding than to do it in this fashion? This was the third time the Hoyas have knocked off the one seed in this exact matchup. And they do it about every 10 years. They did it to Syracuse in 2000. They did it to Syracuse again in 2010. That was the last year Georgetown made the final. And they did it to Villanova today. Georgetown has a 6-1 and record against Villanova in the Big East tournament, which is kind of hard to believe just if you sort of think about what's happened recently. And now Georgetown has a winning record against one seeds in the tournament, which is pretty good, right? I mean, the one seed is the one seed, right? And a bunch of those matchups were, a bunch of those wins against the one seed were in the Big East final when Georgetown was like a two or a three. But nonetheless, I think it's still pretty impressive. Do you want to get back to the part of the game where I was losing my mind? Yes. (laughs) Okay, because it was happening a lot. For whatever reason, I was kind of, this entire season, it's just been sort of, I don't know, going through the motions. You don't really know what to make of anything. There's no crowd. There's no, we're not going to the games. But, you know, yesterday I felt it. Today, man, I really felt it. And it's just like, oh, you're so close. Guys, just get over the hump. And you have you have the ability to do it. So you're the coach. But some of the things that were just killing me, and one play in particular that you're going to look back and say, what a, you know, insignificant play. Georgetown was winning just after the half. They were up 39-37. And they fouled Archadine Akino. You know, I don't know if you shop at Costco. This is basically like the Kirkland version. Okay. It's not the version <laughs> that's going to play in the pros. This is this is the generic version. I mean, I'm sure he's a great kid. I'm not trying to disparage him. You know, he's probably playing at a level maybe a little bit higher than he is, but you know, he's a legacy. And I'm, you know, you need guys like that in your program. That being said, yeah. Georgetown's up 39-37. Donald Carey goes flying after him, fouls him on a three-pointer. This is a kid that's made one three-pointers in his career, okay? Let him shoot that three. Instead, he knocks down three free throws. Georgetown's trailing 40-39, to 39, and it was part of a 10-0 run. The next time down the court, shot clock violation. The next time down the court, belay charged. The next time down the court, Blair missed three. And I was just thinking, like, and, you know, 
you know, as a coach, the margins are so slim that when you do something like foul, this guy that's probably, you know, got no chance of making a three, but he gets to make three free throws. So, you know, I don't know if you remember that play, if you think I'm making too much out of it, but it was just like this little thing that turned into a big run and I was just losing my mind. No, I don't think you're making too much of it at all. Cause like you said, the margins, especially for this team are pretty slim and uh, found on the three pointer. That's a big sin in and of itself. But then it's also how many fouls do you commit that far from the basket or 50 feet from the basket that puts you in the penalty oh. with eight minutes left in the close game. Marcus. So it's more than just that play. So I agree with you. That ends up being, especially if you lose, because you're in the penalty and Villanova is getting all these free points. No, I I feel the same way that you feel. That's probably a bigger play than what people thought it was at the time. It, it, yeah, it's just, it was driving me crazy. Also driving me crazy is the turnovers. And Georgetown, okay, to their credit, they only had 13, which is a very winnable number versus them. The problem is you're playing a Villanova team that never turns it over. Villanova had six. It's the turnovers where guys are doing things that just kind of aren't in their skill set. Yeah, and that's the thing. Um, I thought today there were times, again, where Pickett and Belay forced things. Yeah. And against a team that doesn't turn the ball over like Villanova, when you're giving away possessions on forcing shots and forcing drives and doing things out of your character, you, again, you slim yourself to a margin that's very difficult to overcome, even if Gillespie isn't playing. Because it's what I kind of said yesterday, maybe not to you, but to others, Villanova's offense is built to plug and play. Yes, Gillespie is a huge loss, and I'm not minimizing that. But I was not shocked that players could step into that 4-1 set and play a bigger role and be successful at playing a bigger role just because the options in that set, to getting you into spacing, to getting you in positions of the court where you have multiple options with the ball in space. I can drive it. I can shoot it. I can penetrate and kick and all those things as opposed to a tighter type of offense where maybe when I receive the ball, I really only have one option of what I can do with it. Villanova does a great job at recruiting players to that style, which is why I never felt comfortable, even when everyone was talking about yesterday about who wasn't playing for Villanova. I just knew just how they play and what they could do to how Georgetown is built. Like, case in point, what I thought was the big play in the game was going down the stretch and Villanova was up by two, and they get a, a penetration where Wahab has to come and help and then they kick to his guy and he can't close out in time, Villanova hits a three and goes up by five. And I'm sitting here charting that right there of this is where their offensive structure matches up so well against Georgetown, forcing them to close out. So I thought it would be close. It's just as I put on Twitter, and I hate to be Mr. Cliche guy, but Georgetown just down the end just made winning plays. No, you're right. They did. And, you know, um, we got to talk to Harris. I tried to ask him about what was different in that final run that the Hoyas had. You know, how did they, you know, keep their wits about them? Like, just keep plugging away, chopping wood. And he gave some pretty generic answers. Um, I did like what he said about he was, you know, thank God on, the you know, the first free throw. But, yeah, I mean, when they went down 11, you're thinking, oh, my God, what a wasted opportunity. But when they went down five, they gave up, you know, the – 
the was it Swider the you know the ball fake if you ball fake Georgetown man you are gonna get a good look I don't know if you're gonna knock it down but you're gonna get a good look so he hit that you know Swider hit that three then Robinson Earl came down it wasn't a ball fake it was just great ball movement and then you know Harris Harris comes down to get those and then Wahab the and one I mean I, I mean to go 23 for 23 from the line, which we found out at the beginning of the Georgetown press conference from John Paquette, that that's a tournament record, which that's not hard to believe. You know, that's what you have to do. You, you know, to, you have to go that perfect to sort of survive all these other things. And I just think it's really impressive that this particular group, um, what did you think about, you know, you mentioned BLA kind of being a little bit out of control. I asked you kind of a similar question yesterday and I'll ask it again. What if I told you that Belay would play 21 minutes, he would have five turnovers, five fouls, go two points, two for two from the line? Like, what would you what would you have put Georgetown's chances of winning at? Yesterday, I believe, when I read his line combined with pickets, I think you gave a 5% shot. Uh, against Villanova, probably a 3.5% shot. <laughs> um, I thought they needed all hands on deck, and I thought that this was going to be a game where Pickett and Belay would have to be factors on the offensive side of the court. And once again, neither one of them were. And that's not to be too critical of them. They just wasn't. And Georgetown is still finding a way to win. And and I just never thought when we were going through the season that I would say this, especially in the Big East tournament, that they are becoming one of these teams that doesn't need to have everything go right to win a close game down the stretch. And when we talk about so many times that they have been the team that have blown a double-digit lead and you're pulling out your hair like, oh, my gosh, how much is this going to happen? They were down by 11 with eight minutes left to a very, very good Villanova team, and they executed down at the end, and they got enough stops to win a game, which is very NBA-ish. You know, you're not looking at percentages as much as, did I get enough stops to win? And Georgetown got enough stops down the stretch of a double-digit deficit to win a game. And I don't think that either one of us thought that that was going to happen back in January. No, I didn't. I mean, there's a lot of things, right? You know, if you told me Blair was going to start coming off the bench, I'd say, well, that can't possibly be good. I was completely wrong. One one of the cooler stats I came across last night, I don't know if you saw it, I tweeted it this morning, there wasn't a whole lot of sleep at my house between work, Georgetown work, and then um, my kid decided, I don't know if he has an allergy problem or what, but there was a lot of that last night. But so Javon Blair, as far as I can tell, based on the information available from the Big East, when he had 20 points yesterday off the bench, which is kind of misleading because he's their leading scorer, but he did come off the bench. That was the most by a Hoya off the bench ever. Okay. And so then I, so I was like, you know what? I wonder, I wonder like how many times this has happened. And so the Big East has all of the box scores going back to 83, which is when the tournament moved to Madison Square Garden online. Uh, Georgetown did play eight games in the 80 to 82 tournaments. So it's possible that I'm, I'm, you know, disrespecting someone that went for 35 off the, off the bench or something during that period, but they didn't. But the thing was, I, then I looked for is how many players did it in the same tournament? And before tonight, because Blair got double figures tonight, Blair had Blair had 14. So he's got back-to-back double figures off the bench. So this is kind of cool. So Peak did it in 2016, okay? Then you're going to mm-hmm. go back to 1991, 
Do you remember Lamont Morgan? Yes, I do. Yeah, I think he was he local or was he New Orleans? I think he might be I New Orleans. I thought he was New Orleans. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking Lonnie Harrell was um, local. <sighs> Probably right. Anyway, okay, so Mark Tillman did it in 89. We all know who he is. And Charles Smith yeah. did it in 87. And I will make the one yeah. note that Horace is uh, Broadnax. Is that, is that is the way you say it? Yes, it is. Horace Broadnax had two double-figure games off the bench, but they were in separate tournaments he did it in 83 in a quarterfinal win and he did it in 85 in a quarterfinal win so i don't know about you but it was pretty cool to go back through i mean some of the guys that have hit double figures off the bench dsr greg winnington patrick ewing jr this is a really wild game wild name matt causey do you remember him i remember the name but I he transferred really quick i think he was only there a year or two he transferred when estrick got fired Ah, okay. Um, my guy, okay. Lee, my my guy Lee Scruggs did it. Boom J, Boom J, Cortland Freeman, yeah. Trey Kilpatrick. My guy Damon Jackson from TC Williams, um, Jahadi White, Bubakar Ah, Lonnie Harrell. Like I said, Dikembe did it in '89. Ronnie Highsmith and Reggie Williams. So for me, just because I thought that was a pretty cool thing to just kind of go down the rabbit hole, and now I have that stat for the next time. It becomes interesting. Now, I will say this. If Blair goes for double figures again off the bench, and I don't see why he wouldn't, he will be the only player to have done that. That's pretty cool. Yeah, and he'll have every opportunity to do that against <laughs> an opponent that he can do it against. <laughs> um, I, I don't know if you saw. I'm trying to multitask here. I'm on here, and I'm also tweeting. I'm sure you're looking at Twitter as well. It's hard not to. But I thought one of the more interesting things that happened at the end of the first half because of foul trouble. And by the way, Belay picked up just, oh man, just a, almost a back-breaking technical on a play where he was, you know, going to go to the, or he did go to the line, but, you know, he drew a foul. I forget who it was against. He was John. Who knows what he said? Heat of the moment. Um, but that counts as one of his personal fouls, which is one of the reasons he fouled out. Anyway, Ewing went with an interesting lineup towards the end of the first half. And I was kind of hoping he would start the second half with it, but he didn't. But it was it was Harris. It was it was Blair, it was Ego FA, it was Pickett, and it was Holloway. And Colin Holloway, who hasn't played a whole lot this year, played 11 minutes. He was, I'm sorry, he played seven minutes, and he was plus seven. Yeah, I was surprised to, um, I was really surprised to see him. Uh, they, just because I, everyone knew that they were short in the bench, and you would think that if one of those guys came off the bench, it would be Sibley, but somehow... Yeah. Um, Coach has this this confidence in in Holloway, and uh, I was a little surprised to see him today. I, I think five minutes in the first half, three minutes in the second half, or yeah, five yeah. minutes in the first half, two minutes in the second half, something along those lines. Um, I thought he committed the silly foul. They had a trap opportunity in the second in the second half. They had him right where he wanted, and he bumped the guy with his lower body, and they called it. And I was like, ah, all he had to do was stand straight up. Well, oh. We can get to that in a second. Um, you know, he actually had a pretty big offensive rebound right at the end of the half. He could have kicked it out, and it, Georgetown could have could have killed it. It didn't end up man- mattering because Villanova went down and missed. Georgetown led at the half, 37-35, which was their biggest lead of the game. But, you know, just getting that rebound, right? Like, I mean, now, I will say this. Ewing seems to trust him. 
he started one of the games, I want to say. Or no, he didn't start. Kobe Clark started. But I want to say Colin Holloway came in when um, Georgetown was making their run at Syracuse. And it was just like, what's going on here? What's, you know, you know, so th- you're right. There is something there where whatever whatever Patrick sees in practice, he trusts that guy to do stuff. And, you know, if you had said before the season start, name the two freshmen that will play in, in, in the Big East tournament for Georgetown. Would your answers before the season have been Harris and Holloway? Probably Harris, just because, I mean, it was basically, you know, the law firm of Harris and Harris were going to be the point guards all year. But I think you'd have to get a bunch of guesses to have Colin Holloway, and he played well. Yes. And, you know, the one thing it could be, and I would really love for Ewan to speak on this, I wonder how much the rest of the guys who are out on the floor influences him putting Holloway in. And maybe it's just a better fit more than it's, well, who's better than who? It just could be, hey, I have this group out there. He fits in very well with that group of players because I know as a coach and obviously not a coach on that level that I've done that before and people have scratched their heads like, why is it that guy? And it's more because of who else is out there. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, well, Georgetown obviously had trouble. You know, Ron brought it up in the press conference. He was talking to Robinson Earl. I mean, Georgetown just couldn't guard him, right? Now, Georgetown was fortunate that for as perfect as they were from the free throw line, Villanova was 14 for 22. Robinson Earl particularly was 7 for 13. He basically had almost, well, no, he did. No, he didn't. He had almost all of their misses. They had two other misses, sorry. Um, Just going right right here in uh, real time. But, you know, I thought that the game screamed for no Ego F.A., but, you know, Ego F.A., seven minutes plus seven. Here's my problem, and I'm sure you saw it. I just want Wahab and I want Ego F.A. to just realize that they're seven feet tall, and when they're around the basket, they don't need to jump, right? Am I wrong? No, they don't. And sometimes I'm, I'm assuming you're referencing when they foul. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes it's just good to <clears> – <throat> alter the shot and those two haven't gotten to that point yet they feel like they have to contest everything and a lot of times the contest but you can, be you can contest, up and down you can contest just by being big right and that's my point and, and altering what you're doing altering what you're seeing altering your comfort it doesn't always and by the way and i hate to do this oh it's this generation because georgetown centers have always done this but um, this generation, there is a lot of I have to make the block as opposed to just the solid defensive play. And they do get themselves needlessly in trouble because they just don't want to accept the fact that sometimes it's just good enough to be big. I think I think it needs to be. I think it needs to be. Um, they did that. Um, I was definitely sort of – you could probably tell just if you follow me on Twitter that my uh, interest level <laughs> and everything was very heightened probably yesterday and definitely today. Hopefully there's no recording of me in my basement. Um, but there was a couple times where, and again, I'm not picking on these guys. We haven't, I don't think we've ever talked or I'm sorry, spoken with Ego FA, but Wahab is really nice. But just Georgetown, just the idea of knowing when a play is dead and, Georgetown benefited because Villanova missed a lot of free throws. A couple front end of one-on-ones, which is an even worse miss, right? Because, you know, you don't even get to the the second opportunity. But knowing that sometimes you can't get the rebound. So 
I don't know how yeah. fixable this is b- between right now. We're recording this at about three forty-five on Thursday, and they're going to play at seven against either Seton Hall or St. John's. But you know, if they can just if they can just be big, I think it would be a huge benefit for them. Um, Jamarco Pickett. And this was be- oh no, go on, stay. We can we can get to Pickett no. in a second. Yeah, the one thing I was going to say about that is because it was a couple of the silly over-the-back calls, and I, I know what you're referencing, and that goes back to what I was saying earlier about foul counts. When I'm committing fouls literally 90 feet from the basket, yeah, those yeah. things add up, and, and they're never they're never just like innocent. Like people, ah, what difference does that make? It makes a big difference. It, it, it does uh, because that stuff adds up. But no, let's get to pick it. So Pickett, I actually, well, let's start this. No, we'll just go down Pickett when I can get back to this. Sorry, I'm just everywhere. There's just so much. There's so much from this game. There's just, you know, usually it's like, uh, you know, uh, turnovers or whatever. And it's just like slogging through. Like there's just so many things that pop out at me. And it's great because they won. So even if we're talking about a negative thing, it didn't matter. It didn't burn them yet. But Pickett, 12 points, eight rebounds. You know, he played basically the entire game, which they kind of need him to. But two for nine from the field. He did make two threes. He was two for three. He was six six for six from the line. He had four turnovers. I know I texted you a couple times about things that I wasn't in love with that that, um, he did, you know, particularly driving to the hoop. But he gets a third chance, right? Because he's a senior. I don't think he's going to come back. I think he's going to go play professionally somewhere. So I'm assuming this is his last time at Big East Tournament, Madison Square Garden as a Hoya. He really hasn't gotten into the tournament yet, right? And he's one of their guys. Yeah, he hasn't. He, I don't understand with a guy of his length how he struggles so much finishing around the basket and that mid-range jump shot. And I don't know if he's getting in between himself when he drives the ball or what, but a lot of times he's driving himself into trouble and he's driving himself into a worse shot, which is the antithesis of putting the ball on the floor and, and driving. You would think with this length that he would finish um, a little bit better, and maybe he's just going through a thing right now. But he really needs to settle down because I think both of us feel, at least I feel, that if they want to make a run to Saturday night, he's got to contribute in some way on the offensive end. And it yeah. can't be just a bevy of bad shots and questionable decisions, which is what we've gotten in the first two games. And, and they've been able to work around it. But there's going to come a time where he's going to have to be a senior and come up big in those moments. Yeah, I mean, it's not like Blair had the best line in the world, but I do feel like Blair provides enough of what they need. He makes the – you know, he stretches the defense – he actually, I don't mind him attacking the hoop, even though he's not like Dante Harris, but I think he's their second guy that you'd feel comfortable doing that. What did you want from the last play? I tweeted it out. Not a lot of people responded. I put what I wanted. I don't know if you saw, but I wanted Pickett for three. I didn't, you know what I mean? Like, and at one point when the play starts, Pickett gets the ball. They're kind of doing like handoffs. They're kind of doing a little bit of a weave up there. If my memory serves me correct. Sorry if I'm wrong. But uh, Pickett did have the ball, and he's putting it on the ground, and I'm just like, I mean, he was very far from the hoop, and it's like, no, 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 I want Pickett involved from a catch-and-shoot position. And like I said, he's two for three from three. I feel very confident with him draining 
you know, if they ran a set for him, get him a look off screens, I feel comfortable. They don't do a whole lot of that, but I feel comfortable with him making a shot like that. I didn't want him driving. What play did you want? I wanted ball movement, and I did want a drive of, of some type, not necessarily, you know, Harris, but I wanted a drive, but I wanted ball movement. How many times have we heard you and Scream, you know, move the ball or move? I've never, I've never heard was, that. <laughs> oh, my biggest fear was that they were going to try something stagnant out of a screen and roll with three guys standing and yeah. that it was going to be a force shot. So I don't know what I was looking for. I just know what I didn't want to see. I just, I guess, I think college basketball, obviously, this is not some great opinion this is very obvious but i think you know it's all about coaching right and i thought jay wright was just working the refs all game you know some people have sort of i don't know if they think that i'm you know making too big a deal out of ewing just screaming rebound and move but two reasons i don't really like that one i think he should be thinking and maybe he's thinking while he's doing the you know screaming rebound and move but i want him thinking like you know all these different plays and switches and different things not just the elementary rebound but the other thing is and people got on JT3 for not doing this, is working the refs. And Jay Wright just works the refs. So I wasn't very confident that Georgetown would get a call. Because if you do that, you're calling against not just Villanova. You're calling against Jay Wright. He's won two national championships. He's been bitching all game about the refs, you know, this, that, and the other. So that's where I was a little bit like, you know what, if you can get an open shot, I feel more confident that's going in than the refs deciding to call one against, against Jay Wright and Villanova. Because... If you do, it's not like the NBA where you get to take the ball at half court. I mean, you're you're, you're probably going to get a bad shot. Oh, that's a very good point. And I never thought about it from that perspective, but you're right. You know, would you have gotten the call or did you think you would get the call? And that's one of the things I tell people all the time when you go see games live, especially college basketball. There are certain coaches, and I'm not going to go into this because this is a different conversation for a different time. But yeah. there are certain coaches that it is a conversation after every single possession. Yeah. And I remember Jay Billis said a long time ago, you know, the referees are not obligated to go over there and listen to you. Yeah. And I wish more referees in college basketball would not go over there because it's been said many ways by many people. But in the NBA, it's players who are always chirping at the refs. In the college basketball, it's, it's the coach. So it's not that one has it and one doesn't. It's just the person doing it that's different. So you're right. Um, how much confidence did you have that Georgetown would get a whistle? And that's certainly a fair assessment. I didn't have a lot of confidence because it's not like they have that star. You know, it's one thing if you've got a Colin Gillespie, you know, and, you know, to give Dante Harris that call, which – you know, I, I don't I don't think it was controversial, but I think, you know, if it doesn't get called, you're like, well, you know, the ref swallows whistle, Jay Wright's over there. So that was kind of my concern is leaving it into the ref's hands because Dante has been really good. But, you know, it's hard to finish in there, you know, in the trees, even though he did it a bunch this game. It's just hard. Uh, can I read what I thought was just and I know that you're a, a Knicks guy. I grew up a Knicks guy because of Ewing. They've been trash forever, although they're good this year or I'm sorry, at least competent this year. but. Something Ewing said kind of unprovoked. He said, I thought this was my building and I and I feel terrible that I'm getting stopped, accosted, 
asked for passes. Everyone in this building should know who the hell I am. I'm getting stopped. I can't move around this building. I was like, what the hell? Is this Madison Square Garden? I'm going to have to call Mr. Dolan and say, geez, is that my number in the Raptors or what? How awesome was that? <laughs> that was great. And you're right. What made it so entertaining was the fact that it was unprompted. He just went into it. And at first I was laughing. And then he started raising his voice. And I was like, oh, man, you know, he's kind of like a little bit bothered in a joking way. But you can see it kind of got under his skin like, yo, man, I'm supposed to get the star treatment here. You're supposed to say, hello, Coach Ewing, or hello, Mr. Ewing, and not even bother to check my, my passes. So, no, I thought that was that was great. Who do the Hoyas want? St. John's or Seton Hall? Oh, that's a good question. I ooh, I almost would want Seton Hall. I, I would probably want Seton Hall because I think there are things that Georgetown can do against them that comes natural to Georgetown. I think against Seton Hall, they can get the ball to the basket. I think there are things that Seton Hall does on the offense <clears throat> that would not hurt uh Georgetown as much as what St. John's does, because if Georgetown wants to push pace on Seton Hall, they can have some success there. If they do that against St. John's, St. John's is like, yo, man, this is just another game. Let's bring this up and down type of pace. And we thrive in that. We have the coach of the year on our sideline. We have a coach who has never had a losing season in his career as a head coach, and we will gladly play this way. So, in a way, I kind of like Georgetown against Seton Hall a little bit more than St. John's. Yeah, I think it's Seton Hall. And I know you got to deal with Mamu, and I know that, you know, Kale and Roden went off against the Hoyas the first time. But, man, I just feel like you can get into a complete just, you know, track meet with St. John's. And, I mean, the first game Dante Harris started, he was Big East Freshman of the Week. You know, I think the game was like 94, 97 or something like that. I still think that I would rather – it seems like Georgetown has changed a little bit and they're actually winning games below 80 points. They're winning games a little bit, uh, you know, games that they weren't winning before. So I would stay away from Anderson on his home court playing that crazy style. I think I'd rather see Seton Hall. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. So did you get Chinese again today? No, I did not. You know, this is crazy because I laughed about it this morning. I was just like, look, man, that's too early a stop, uh, start time to get Chinese. Uh, ordered pizza, had a couple of slices of pizza. My son is here um, uh, having class virtually, so we kind of enjoyed that. And um, he was in class while I was working and watching two games at once and eating uh, eating some pizza. It wasn't uh, – couldn't get too much better than that. Do you know what's going on with the fantasy game that we play? No, meaning what the scores were. I know I didn't do very well today. <laughs> no, I don't even think I understand I it. So for the people listening, we get to pick two players per game, but once you use them, you're done. So I think I'm I, actually, I, I went Harris today, which was kind of a, kind of a flex. Um, yeah, I think, you know, if Georgetown makes the finals, I think it's going to be like you're going to have to pick, like, Ego F.A. and, like, Sibley. Yeah, I was thinking – I still have Harris left. And I was thinking some sort of combination <laughs> of I would have to take Harris and, like, Carrie. That's yeah. who I would have to take. Because I'm, I'm out of 
I'm out of players. <laughs> well, we all are. I mean, they, they only play, you know, they, yesterday they played seven today, you know, you did get Holloway, but uh, yeah, it's interesting. I, I'll, the reason I went with Harris today was because, and for the people listening, it's points. So it's, it's just points is I just figured, you know what, like I said, the Kirkland version of a Villanova, you know, all-time great. I just thought this, you know, Harris has to be able to take advantage of this. And, and he did. And being a freshman again, I can't. I can't say it enough. Being a freshman on that stage and playing the way he played, especially with the zero turnovers, and like you said, the opportunities against who was on him to be able to get to the basket. Um, you made a better pick than me because my pick fouled out and had a technical. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, and you know what? To be honest, though, I don't know if Georgetown can have that many guys involved, meaning that when Belay kind of really wasn't in it, to me, that's an opportunity for Harris to look at himself and look at the team and be like, you know what? They need me today. They need me to not just be, you know, run the offense, you know, break the press, find guys. They need me to be a guy, you know? And if if you've got, you know, Pickett and Belay and Blair all in double figures and Wahab, like, you know, there's just only so much basketball to go around. And I felt like Harris, I think did a lot of his scoring in the second half and late. I'd have to look and see how many he had in the first half, but you, you know what I mean? Like I, I think if, if it was a normal belay game that we've seen post COVID pause, I don't think Harris has the offensive impact himself that he would have. Yeah. He had 16 of his 18 in the second half. Yeah. And you know, it's like, well, you know, I don't know if Ewing told him or what, or he just realized it, but it's like, hey, you know, we need another guy. And if it's not going to be Belay today, it's going to have to be me. Yeah, that's, um, yeah, because it, it is critical to get that third scorer. And it was him. And just the things that he did, like I said, he uh, controlled the game. It was more than just the scoring. And if he can do that, I mean, then that's a skill of a recruit. Let's not forget, it's not like a bunch of teams were clamoring over getting him. Um, in their program, and I got to give you, can you hear my dog. By the way, one. can you hear a dog? Huh? Can you hear a dog? No, I cannot. All right, so I'm just interrupting it without. So I can hear my dog, and I'm just wondering why he's not being taken care of. Okay, go on. Sorry. No, um, it's not like this guy was this huge, huge recruit, and so you know, some people might not like his size because he's not a big point guard. But Ewing had faith in him as much as. And I know um, things have changed, but as much as when he got McClung, uh, when he came out of Gate City, you know, there was a ton of questions about him at that moment. And Ewing recruited him and, and gave him minutes and, and everything else. So those are a couple ones that Ewing definitely got right, or it seems that he got right. Yeah, no, credit to him. And I think that's, you know, we started with this a little bit and we're going to end on it. That's where I think this is the program. And I don't know enough about Chris Likes or another, you know, grad transfer point guard, whoever it must be. But I do think that there's just so much value in getting guys, developing guys, having guys be there longer than just a pit stop before their next part of the basketball journey. There's definitely a spot and a purpose for grad transfers, but I just don't think a revolving door of grad transfer point guards is the way to go. I couldn't agree more. Well, if that's the case, we got to get out of here because we just agreed on that. And, you know, maybe we'll agree on some stuff tomorrow. Um, Hopefully you can come back tomorrow. We'll have to see what goes on. 
Georgetown, I cannot believe. I cannot believe we're. I can't believe we're not there. This has been the. This would have been right. for as much as I complain about the eight nine game with the three o'clock. Basically, right. from a position of being worried if you lose that game, did it even feel like you were at the tournament? But right, if you, if you play early on Sat on Thursday, and you win, it's awesome. You can take in the other oh, games. Yeah. You've got a lot of time to do stuff, and then you got all day Friday. I mean, the game doesn't start till seven, which means you probably wouldn't go to the garden till about five. It's just, it's the best, and I'm so glad that they're there. I wish we were there, too. But you know what? Yeah, so mm-hmm. we'll be back here. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. I'm looking forward to it. it it's great that they're playing. It, it's great that we have another game to, to speak about them, and hopefully it'll be in the same way we'll be discussing a win. Absolutely. Um, at MTC with Mook. I'm Bobby yeah. Bancroft. You can find us. You can find us if you're listening to this podcast. You already did find us. Subscribe and rate. Let us know if there's anything you think we're missing. Georgetown moving on to the semifinals for the first time since 2015. And we don't know who they're going to take on yet, but it will be either Seton Hall or St. John's. Thanks, Marcus. Thank you. Bye.